The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast, coming to you from O3C Games. My name's Jonathan Dunn, and I'm joined by Chris Dow. Danish flu. <laughs> and we are chatting about video games. We love them, we're here for them, they are here for us. Announcement! Announcement! Patreon.com slash O3C Games is the place to go if you like the show and you want to support us with some metaphorical dough. O3C Games is also our name on pretty much all social media if you want to interact with us there. However, our real push for this week is to ask that you consider rating slash reviewing this show on your podcast platform of choice to help the algorithm consider pushing us in front of new listeners' ears. Despite the time and energy we've put into making the show the professional audio product, we feel it to be week in, week out, for the best part of four years now, listener growth has sadly stagnated a little bit. Although endless growth has never been the goal at our inception as R3Cents or as the now long rebranded O3C Games, it's becoming more and more of a challenge to fit in the hours of work a show of this quality requires without seeing at least a flutter in numbers to show at least a handful here and there are really enjoying it as our own little reward. To our Patreons, past and present, of course, we love you almost as much as our partners and families. And to any others who have been listening long term, but have never been in a financial position to support us monetarily, a cheeky rating or review really is the next best thing to giving us the collective shot of serotonin that we need to keep rolling, rolling, rolling. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you're a shrewd shopper, it's about to be your favorite time of the year. HyperX will be running massive sales for the holiday season. Get up to 50% off some of our most popular products, like the Ultra Comfy Cloud 2 headset, the tough, responsive Alloy Origins mechanical keyboard, and the fan-favorite Quadcast USB microphone. Sales will be going on at all major e-tailers, but be sure to head to HyperX.com and sign up for the newsletter to get the scoop on the biggest deals. Happy holidays from HyperX. So, uh, we're back. We're back with another play date. Toot toot. Toot toot. Toot toot. You know what? The other day, I couldn't find uh, my play date. And I said to my wife, I said, have you seen my play date? And she said, it's a play date. It's a play date. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh... Embedded. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I sneak a pair of headphones on her as she sleeps and put all the jingles through. It's the only way. Yeah. We're going to be chatting about the next two games that have released in the season, uh, which is Lost Your Marbles and Pick Pack Pup. We're also going to make good on that promise of uh, checking out some side-loaded content as well with the playdate. I'm really, really looking forward uh, to getting into all of that. But before we do all of that, let's do all of something else and talk about what we've been playing this week. And Chris, you're going to kick us off because, spoiler alert, the only thing I've played in the last week is my play date. Oh, tasty. I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so. What are you buying? What are you playing? What have you played? So first up this week is the new game from Rusty Lake called The Past Within. Now, long-time listeners will remember Minty and Mrs. Minty being very fond of the point-and-click come escape room puzzlers in the Cube Escape and Rusty Lake series, but may not be aware that a few months back, Georgia, my own significant other, played through the entire series of 10 or so games, I think, back-to-back in the space of about a week. Wow. (laughs) She got very into it. 
And I tried to get involved as well. And I did beat the first two or three entries, but I never quite had Georgia's stamina. (laughs) And I could certainly tell they were decent games. I just didn't want to play that many of them in a row. Now, fast forward to November of 2022. The latest entry in this franchise has released, but the twist here is that it must be played cooperatively with another player in a sort of synchronous setup across two devices. And I had read a positive review. I was quite interested in seeing how things worked, being that the game doesn't actually require physical connection, but it does require communication. You need to have someone there to talk to because nothing is actually shared between device to device. It's just what you are communicating to the other player to help them solve a puzzle. So... Come launch day, Georgia basically frog-marched me metaphorically to buy my own copy of the game. And we sat down one afternoon to play through the adventure together. And it was really, really nice. All in all, the experience probably takes about two hours on a first play, though there is a bit of replayability or room for replayability if you want to go through the story again. It does remix puzzles for you. It switches your roles and things like that. In the game, one player opts to control events in the past, one controls events in the future, And each of you must solve puzzles to then share keys or codes or ciphers with the other player. And it's recommended that you don't look at each other's screens. Obviously, there's nothing stopping you from doing that because you're sat in a room, presumably, together. But to make good on that, we sat on opposite sides of the lounge, shouting orders at each other and trying to walk one another through scenarios based on the information that was exclusive to our device. Now, it felt probably the closest example of a real-life escape room I've had in a game. Like, I've played games Mm. that kind of, you know, stimulate that same kind of part of your brain to make you look for clues to make you kind of explore your surroundings but for some reason having to talk to another person made it far more like that experience of actually being in a space and rampantly like pulling things out and and trying to solve things together and it also reminded me mostly of the vr title keep talking and nobody explodes oh yeah if anyone has played that and i know you have because you played it with me i think jonathan yeah i think so yeah (laughs) now if you've never played that title one player is wearing the vr headset and can see a bomb that needs deactivating before a time limit expires, whilst all the other players are not wearing a headset and have to consult a real-world manual and are basically asking questions of the person in the headset saying, what does the bomb look like? What wires are there? What buttons are there? And then trying to work out what they need to press or cut or do to work out how to disarm the bomb. Now, in the past within, puzzles are never as time-sensitive as that game, and they're rarely as complex, really, but they do need a similar level of cooperation. Because you're comparing what you can see on your respective screens, you're talking through symbols or numbers or letters, and because your two iterations of this world are different, you know that's what's helping you to solve these riddles on both sides of the time divide. I think it's a really good time, as much for the joint successes as the joint frustrations, because that's a big part of the escape room fun as well, kind of getting annoyed at each other is very much part of the process. And I liked it even as a relative newcomer to the wider Rusty Lake lore, I would say big recommend. The next game I played through, I finished Effie since the last time we spoke. And the game itself is probably about six hours long in total, so it's not a big game. But my total playtime was quite a lot longer as I managed to lock myself out of 100% completion by missing one collectible on an early stage. And I wasn't actively going for 100%, but when I realised that about three quarters of the way through that I'd done everything else... Mm. I got annoyed, I ummed and ahed, I sort of took the day off playing it and then thought, no, I enjoyed this enough. <laughs> you say, I ummed and ahed, I took the day off work, I really thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was in my holiday, so I didn't get that far. But I thought it was worth finishing properly because I, I liked the overall feel of the game, I liked the platforming challenges, I liked the basic overworld exploration that I mentioned last week. It's a game that basically no one has played and I doubt my talking about it is suddenly going to convert an army into checking it out. But as a cut-price action-adventure game, 
I had a really good time with it. It's another one. If you pick up a, a gray market key for Steam, it's about a pound. If you buy it in a sale, it might be two pounds, you know, but it's, it's not going to break the bank. So I would recommend it. On the emulation docket this week yeah. has been the Amiga. Okay. Now, I never owned one. The no. only person I ever knew who owned one was the son of one of my mum's friends growing up, who I probably hung out with twice when <laughs> I was in single digits. Yeah. And I remember playing Turrican and being dreadful at it and then watching Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. <laughs> what, a, what a great day. What a great day. Chicken nuggets for dinner. <laughs> Almost certainly would have been because I was pretty fussy at nine years old or whatever it was. full of peanuts. <laughs> Because of my limited knowledge of this platform, I've been looking at lists of notable releases and just trying them out on the deck. And an early standout game has been a title called Gloom. Now, following on from chatting about X vs. 7 last week, Gloom is a Doom clone, which apparently was quite a big deal for the era, as the Amiga didn't have the right hardware configuration to do Doom. Now, really, it's closer to the corridor mazes of Wolfenstein 3D than it is the multi-level spaces of Doom. But... It's a really good laugh. I don't know why I'm enjoying it so much, but it's really simple, really straightforward, and I'm having a lot of fun. There's lots of hidden walls that open to unveil a thousand enemies. There's unlimited ammo with every weapon, encouraging you to just get happy with auto fire. And it's also interesting to me, at least, as it ran incredibly poorly on actual Amiga hardware. But through emulated overclocking now in 2022, you can play it at an incredibly smooth frame rate, which I quite oh, just find quite funny. Yeah, it's, it's just it's just quite strange to imagine like I'm having a, a hundred times better experience playing Gloom now than the person who bought it excitedly in WH Smiths back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just it's a world apart. Yeah, I just I just find this stuff really cool. Finally, to really highlight this uh, isn't the Steam Deck the coolest fucking thing segment that huh? I seem to do every week now. I'm going to paint a little picture. Oh, nice. It's almost 11 o'clock at night. I've been faffing on my laptop. George is watching TV and playing The Sims. And out of nowhere, she casually says, I want to play Buster Move. <laughs> now, Buster Move was the Western localization for the Puzzle Bobble arcade yeah. franchise. And it's a game that Georgia owned when she was younger on the PlayStation 1. And it's a game that I played as a kid primarily on my monochrome Game Boy. Yeah. But it's not a game I have to hand generally in my library. But... Within five minutes, I found a copy online. I transferred it to my deck. I plugged the thing into the dock. I've synced an old PlayStation 3 pad along with an Xbox Elite controller, <laughs> and we were away. And the thing scales up flawlessly on the big screen to 4K, and there's no discernible input lag on either controller when connected via Bluetooth. And SteamOS just recognizes both pads without any issues at all. Unbelievable. And RetroArch went, there's your pads. Have fun. And it's just such it's a insane, useful machine yeah. for seemingly any scenario. Because it really was 10 minutes all in from Georgia saying, on a whim, can I play a game you don't have? To me saying, yes, of course. And it being on the TV to play flawlessly. Now, every game I've mentioned this week has been played on the deck. So The Past Within is a brand new title that I played on my Steam Deck in handheld whilst Georgia was sat on the other side of the sofa playing on her phone. Effie is obviously a few years old, but it's a, a big 3D action game. And it played very nicely in a mix of docked and handheld configurations on the Steam Deck. Gloom is a 20 plus year old Amiga title able to run overclocked on the deck to give it performance that was impossible at launch on stock hardware. And Buster Move scales without issue perfectly to my big screen and was able to be played with literally any controller I could find <laughs> in the house. Yeah, I really do think, I really, really do think if you have even... A tiny interest in video games. The Steam Deck is the most essential piece of gaming hardware you can buy. And 
I would give it 100 thumbs up <laughs> if I was reviewing it. I can't give it enough thumbs ups. It, it really is the perfect machine in my life right now. And the only thing I'm more excited for is that in a few years, presumably, we will have a new hardware configuration that will just modernize it again and run better games and look shinier and bigger. You know, solving that problem of how can we make PC games portable like this has basically meant that all games for the rest of time will be playable in this configuration. And it, it absolutely blows my mind. Love it. So as I teased earlier, yes, I've basically just played my play date for the last week. Um, I've actually been, I've been away. I took my little family to meet my Danish family for the first time, which was just absolutely wonderful. Nora was phenomenal with all the traveling. It was just incredibly special and precious. Spent some quality time in Denmark and, uh, and with that side of my family. And I, when I was packing, I made the decision not to take my Steam Deck with me because I wanted to travel as light as possible. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, I might need to add on 20 kilograms of extra baggage or something to, to bring it with me. <laughs> but I just, uh, so it was, it was an easy decision for me just to chuck my Playdate in my bag. And it's just proved to be the perfect gaming device for traveling. Like I got to play for a few hours on, on the plane trips. It stayed in my hotel toilet for those difficult European poos. <laughs> Uh, and i ended up playing an absolute stack of games a couple of which have sucked me in massively i didn't play any further in the official season of games so i still that's uh, illegal it is it is illegal to do that (laughs) Uh, so i've still just got to lost your marbles and pick pack pup that we're going to discuss in a little bit and there's one side loaded game in particular that we're going to talk about at the end of the episode yes, uh, as well. But I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the other side-loaded games that I played during my trip. Chris, you've already touched on a couple of little games that scratched uh, your Tetris and Solitaire itch. Absolutely. In the form of Rain Blocks and Solitaire, which, which are a great, really lovely, absolutely do the job. But there's an incredible variety of different types of games out there for the play date, and they all scratch very different itches. And it's been really interesting to see what current trends are in terms of what developers are trying to make the playdate do and what they're finding the console is best suited to i think it's inevitable that there's a lot of puzzle games because puzzle games are usually based around static screens and simple input mechanics there was a a fun game called loopsy that i tried which is is sort of a tetris alike which sees different sized and shaped blocks spawn that you then need to place on a sort of a grid. And these blocks will have a path drawn on them. And it's your job to create complete closed loops out of these path blocks. Okay. The only sort of like visualization I can compare it to is the board game Carcassonne uh, in terms of roads and and placing tiles and roads and stuff like that. But you're always on a timer. So if you don't place the block quick enough, it'll just fall where you've got to, which we can obviously muck everything up. And you also don't know what the type or size or shape of the next block is going to be. So it requires really quick thinking. And it's a constant gamble between going for bigger loops uh, for more points or sticking to safer, smaller loops and maintaining more control over your playing field. But it's really good fun. It's a good concept that got me thinking slightly more laterally and spontaneously than Tetris would have me do. I'd recommend. I'd recommend. The game that I ended up spending the most time with, though, is another puzzle game called Slitherlink, uh, which, which I didn't realise that it was a game that uh, had been released on the DS back in today. Yeah. 
It's very much in the same vein as Picross or Minesweeper. You've got a grid in front of you and you can draw lines upon the individual sides of the squares of the grid to create one total loop across the whole board. But there are also numbers in most of the squares which denote how many sides of that square need to have a line drawn on it. So using uh, logic, pattern recognition, you slowly draw lines and mark off which sides don't have lines until you've completed the puzzles. And it's just, it's really simple and it's really, really good. It's also really hard. Yes. Well, I, 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 t- <laughs> I touched base with you on this, Chris, um, in the week, and you said it's got a much steeper learning curve than the DS one that you played. Yes, yeah. Uh, I, I'm almost 30 levels also into the version on play date there's 90 levels in all and the playing boards get bigger and bigger all the time and yeah. i mean it's such good value for money as well because i mean the levels i'm doing now like they're always taking me over 15 16 17 18 19 minutes and even like the earlier stage on the smallest squids have taken me somewhere between five and ten minutes each and yeah so i know that it's going to keep me busy for a long time because i'm, I'm really enjoying your buck, it. Isn't it a lot of bang for your buck it's a really good example of the type of puzzle game that makes you feel very clever mm. in a way that Picross, as much as I absolutely adore Picross, I never feel as intelligent solving a puzzle in Picross. I'm not sure why. I think there's there's more, I don't know, there's an element of pattern recognition in Picross that you start doing it so much on autopilot, even much bigger grids, that you might have a little stumbling block for, for a minute or two, and then you kind of unlock the next key, as it were, like the sort of cornerstone of the next bit that's going to yeah. unveil a big chunk of the board, and then then you're through and another one's done. You just load up another one and carry on. Slitherlink, even when I was playing on the DS years back, it would take me so long sometimes to find like the initial linchpin to get a puzzle going that when you then start casually and, and carefully sort of putting things in, you just feel very clever. Mm. When, when it all comes together, placing the last piece, sometimes you're like, that won't work, will it? And you put it down, it's like, no, fucking nailed the whole thing. <laughs> I'm a genius. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, I love the way that it, it keeps you working all the way up to the end as well. Yes. Uh, it's yeah. not like, oh, yeah, cool. Now I can see the and we're done. Like even like down to the, the very last line you draw. It's like, I mean, you're not punished if you get it wrong, which is nice. And you use the crank to rewind and undo your progress and then forward it again as well. So it's quite nice and easy if you, if you like you think, oh, I think this is right, but I can't quite visualize it. You can just draw it out and go, oh no, no, that's 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 definitely not a way to, to do it, and then wind back again. I think my only request for the game is that there was a save button in case I wanted to suspend a puzzle and play something else for a bit, because you can't do that currently. Also because my, my play dates I don't know, it's been crashing a lot more than than usual. And I mm. think that's because it's been in my pocket and I've been moving it around a lot and all of that. And I don't feel confident that if I put my Playdate into sleep mode, you know, in the middle of a puzzle, that when I try to load it up again, it will still be there. So that would be good. It's one that I would certainly recommend to any Playdate owners looking to explore games outside of the season. I I'd get highly, highly recommend it. I think it's probably the most time I've put into a game on the Playdate. It's not all great on the side-loaded front, though. Uh, I tried another couple of puzzle games which were a bit wobbly. There's a game called Transmuting, with Mew, spelled M-E-W, because there's cats in it. <laughs> and it's a, it's a, it's a block-dropping puzzle that asks you to play it with the playdate on its side, and it's just not a nice experience. There's also a game called Addled, which is a nice idea for a game that sees you moving blocks around a grid to match them up with their counterpart, but it's 
so glitchy that I found it pretty much unplayable at the moment. When Adult first came out, I had bought it on itch.io. Yeah. So I liked the look of it. I played it for a few stages and thought, oh, I'm quite enjoying this. And then I got a hard crash. Yeah. And I reported the hard crash to the developer and they fixed the hard crash. And then I went, okay, I'll do a few more levels. Hard crash in a different point, reported it. Developer fixed the hard crash, but it sounds like it's still not anywhere near as smooth as it should be, no. even, you know, how many revisions down the line, which is a shame because I think, like you say, there's potential there. Yeah. It's kind of about, it's about pairing items, isn't it? You, you basically have to work out how to manipulate a board to move two items close to each other, you know, getting past obstacles, working with fans and levers and doors and teleporters and everything else. But it just doesn't work as nicely as it should. No, no, not at all. Another decent little puzzle game uh, called Squish, spelt S-K-W-I-S-H, Squish, which reminded me of the Box Boy games a little bit, mm. which I, I love the Box Boy games, which it's a, it's a real credit to those. It's not my favourite type of puzzle to solve where you're trying to move various blocks around and also navigate your character through different mechanics to get to an end goal. But I was enjoying Squish until they started to introduce a mechanic where basically there are different colours to the blocks. So your your little guy can go inside the blocks that you're trying to move and move inside them and also move the blocks from inside them as well. This mechanic's introduced where you can change the colour of your little round chap. So you can go inside different coloured blocks. Unfortunately, because of the Playdate screen being one bit uh, there's only so much you can convey with shading and i started yeah. to find it a bit unclear and also just like quite unpleasant on the eyes to be honest because with the sort of the fine cross hatching that they were using it just started to get a little bit like stroby outside of the puzzle games there are some good action games i think action games is a good way to sort of group together this next lot of games that I played. Certainly this first one, a game called Invasion, which is a really fun shoot 'em up game where you have a static turret in the centre of the bottom of your screen. You use the crank to aim and a button to shoot down alien invaders trying to destroy the surrounding city. Uh, you get various power-ups and stuff, and it's a, it's a high-score chaser. It's fairly standard shoot 'em up but it's done really, really well. And I think this comes back to what we're saying about adults and the fact that playtesting games that are purely independent, it's always going to be a bit of a mixed bag. I'm, I'm keenly aware of this playing, you know, the games outside of the official season. There's not going to be that same degree of quality control. Yeah. Even less so than, you know, buying an indie game on the Nintendo eShop or something. It's easy to underestimate just what polished experiences some of these better games are and these devs have poured a lot of care and attention into their games i say there's no quality control there is for me because i just get the ones that that you say i should (laughs) (laughs) i am the qa you are the qa you're the q and the a also in the action genre i I think is a, a balanced brew uh, where, Ooh, yeah. yeah, I like that one. Mm, me too. Really, really enjoyed it. You control a big strong boy on a unicycle <laughs> and you're using the crank <laughs> as the pedal of the unicycle. And you need to keep your balance as you make your way across increasingly complex and challenging terrain to get your morning coffee. It's very nice to play. It's very well balanced and responsive and just really good fun. It's simple and it works exactly as you want it to. And the expression on your boy's face when he's losing his balance is always funny. I think it's a game that could easily have fit into one of the 
seasonal offerings. Definitely. And I, I do wonder what Panic are doing in the future because th- there's been no real word if they are continuing this whole season format, if it will eventually kind of expand out and have kind of an on-console store type thing for kind yeah. of curated games, which would be fine if they want to do that. But there's more and more like with this game and you know the the one we're going to talk about a little bit later, our other side-loaded treat, that they are absolutely of a similar quality to the stuff that's yeah. been put out weekly. And it's a shame that I don't think they're going to have the same number of eyes on them just because they're not arriving essentially free with yeah. the cost of the of the unit. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Two last little ones, and then we'll move on to talking about more Playdate games. A Tiny Hadron Collider I played. It's a standard idle game where, where you have a small Hadron Collider. Uh, you use the crank to rotate it and generate numbers, and you can spend those numbers on things to make numbers do more numbers more quickly. <laughs> That's idle games. Minty Boot That's approved. It. That's it. <laughs> it's fine. It's absolutely fine, but... What can you do with it? Yeah, exactly. What can you do with that format, really, at that stage? Exactly. The last game I want to talk about is a game uh, brilliantly titled A Joke That's Worth 99 Cents. Uh, it's actually <laughs> a difficult game to describe, but I'm going to do my best. So, on your screen... You have a visualization of your play date. There's a play date on your screen, sort of shown on a slightly isometric view. If you move the crank on your actual play date, it will move accordingly on your virtual play date on the screen. A small baby arrives uh, from the top of the screen, <laughs> heading towards the handle of your crank, and he has a very bouncy bottom. And it's your job to keep him bouncing on top of the handle of your crank for as long as you can. It's quite tricky, but with a bit of practice, you can keep them going for a fair odd while. And you have to collect these little stars that spawn around the virtual play date, which keeps you from just finding a sweet spot to balance your boy on and, and leave him bobbing away. Why are you doing this? Well, you're doing this because every time you successfully bounce your chap's buttocks into the path of one of these stars, the next part of a joke will appear on your virtual play date's screen. And it's a very, 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 very long joke. One that I haven't gotten to the end of. I'm not no, sure how far it goes. It. Uh, but I've it's, never seen it. It's brilliantly accompanied uh, by a fantastic song that is funny and fun. And that's running in the background all the time. When you collect these stars and the next bit of the joke appears, you get it narrated. When your lad falls, it returns to the song and back to the beginning again. You do also have the option to turn off the narration or the music so you can enjoy it just as a vanilla score chaser if you don't like to enjoy yourself (laughs) (laughs) the the song is like i've played it for a fair while Mm. like every now and again i'll I'll try and get a little bit further or whatever the song is consistently funny yeah it hasn't lost its luster in terms of making me laugh and that's quite an achievement because it's it's the same thing yeah the 99 cent joke as it were does not change but i i'm not going to try and sing it but it's really good and you should look it up yeah. And if nothing else, if you don't have a play date, just watch the trailer because you will at least get a little snippet of it and, and hopefully smile to yourself and think, yeah, it's good in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is a joke that's worth 99 cents. Yes. I'm happy to have paid it. Yeah. <laughs> I think mean, what, what sounds like on the surface could be a potentially very frustrating gaming experience it's just really well balanced. It's and like you said, it's never not funny. It reminds me a bit of Octodad yeah. in that respect, where it's deliberately 
difficult to control so that you can enjoy the slapstick humor that unfolds because of that yeah but yeah it's uh it's a it's a really really good game it's really funny it's really fun and i think it's a good one to show off to people as well if people are looking at you know saying oh what does the play date do show them that it's pretty funny those are the games i've played that's a lot of games it's a play date 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 back in the world of the official season playdate games. It's bloody week three, isn't it? Week three of season one. Two more games. We are absolutely spoiled rotten. Do you know what I like? I like puzzle games. <laughs> and as much as you've talked about quite a lot of side-loaded puzzle games today, there is a particularly good one that we've been graced with on this week of our season one. Mm. Pick, pack, pup. It's a match three puzzler. It's got a 30-stage story mode. It's got an endless zen mode. It's got a bloody timed mode. It's got everything you want from a matching puzzle game, truly. The setup is that you're a dog who works for an analog of Amazon or another kind of big corporation like that. And you are packing items to ship to customers. And to do that, you're given a grid of items and you can move these items freely around to create sets of three or more, which convert into a packed box as soon as they touch. And when your grid has filled with boxes, you can ship them out and the grid is then refreshed with new items to manipulate and pack again. The more boxes you ship in one go, the better your score. And so it becomes a balancing act of manoeuvring items in such a way that they don't accidentally convert into a box that will inadvertently block you out of accessing other matches. It's very simple to pick up. It's very simple to understand. But there is kind of a level of complexity to it that means you can actually push higher scores once you understand what you're doing. The core concept is pushed and pulled in just about every direction during the story campaign of 30 stages. There are levels where you're racing against the clock there are levels where only boxes of a certain size will equal score. There are levels where a constant timer will junk unsent packages, meaning that you need to be careful with the order and timing of your matches. And it's really, really good. I enjoyed it a lot, a lot, a lot. I really like the story. It's got like silly comic book interstitial scenes that you have to crank through every few stages. I really like the writing for each stage with its not so subtle jabs at Amazon.com branded capitalism. Mm. And the extra modes mean that I have kept playing this game long beyond finishing the story, which is exactly what I personally want from any puzzle game. I just like them to have legs. <laughs> I like it to be something I can go back to. Now, when I was a wee boy, I got a copy of Columns on the Master System. Oh, yeah. And vividly remember playing it on day one and first feeling quite disappointed that the game was just playing to get a big score. You know, I couldn't finish it. There was nothing to aim for. And then later on, I vividly remember having a bath, extraneous detail perhaps, but it does give a certain flavour. What flavour bath did you have? <laughs> Who knows? Probably a nice uh, scented matey. Oh, lovely. And sat in that scented matey, I suddenly had this like feeling of elation that actually, if Columns has no end, then I could play it forever. <laughs> and that was the first official shower thought, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Pick Pack Pup is obviously not Tetris, and it doesn't stimulate the Tetris part of my brain, which has made that game so vital in my general health and well-being. But it has been, out of all the releases so far, probably my favourite game alongside Boogie Loops, mm. because I can pop back in for five minutes and use it as a little score attack. Just, you know, it's a nice time killer. How did you get on, considering that generally 
even though you have played 50 this week, you're not as big a puzzle fan as me. I loved it. Good. I Good. absolutely loved it. I would say <laughs> it's the most fun play date season one game so far that's good easily High praise double thumbs yeah there's nothing really to criticize about it you know Four thumbs. even the games that we've enjoyed so far in, in season one you know there's always something we can say oh it might be nice if it had this or this or it was a little bit whatever but no it's brilliant i mean something that's easy to overlook with a game like this is its art style yeah it's just really nice to look at which is a strange thing when it's just matching different icons that don't do anything but everything's got a distinct style to it that feels hand-drawn. And it's just really, really good. And there's some nice meta stuff in there. There's a stage in, in the story mode that I got to where you were packing up stuff for Panic. Yeah. And you have to match little play dates or little other things. And then there's a horrible goose on the side trying to nick, <laughs> nick your parcels. And that was just, that was just brilliant. It's so funny. It's just simple gaming done brilliantly. I love it. The second game of the third week of the Playdate's first season. <laughs> 2-3-1. The old 2-3-1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The taking of Pelham 2-3-1. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a game called Lost Your Marbles. So Lost Your Marbles is essentially a branching narrative visual novel where you're trying to find your lost dog called Minty. Booth. It's not called Minty Booth, but it is a dog called Minty. And from that alone, I was fully expecting it to be a real favourite game of 10 mine. out of 10. But it's a real stinker of a game. <laughs> <laughs> Bottom of the list. Without a doubt so far. I'll explain just a little bit about how the game works. So you're trying to find your dog. There's endless cutscenes of dialogue and chatting about things. And then you'll get to a point where you have to make a decision that will then define which way you go through the story in order to make your decisions you are put into a sort of like a little mini game which is where the marble comes in it's a 2d plane and your marbles on uh, it, it almost looks like it's on a bookshelf or something like that and then you use the crank to tilt the little stage left and right to roll your marble around this stage and there's things like uh, ramps and springs and holes to fall through and then your different narrative choices are scattered around this stage, usually, I think, hidden within like a light bulb, I think it is. Yeah. And yeah. then you basically need to smash the light bulb to make your narrative choice. The narrative side of the game is so bland. Uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it's just full of really overlong, bland writing. It's not fun to read. It's so boring. It's so boring. <laughs> I know this, I know this is, is probably sounding harsh, but it's all well and good being like, oh yeah, this is rubbish. And then you go, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe maybe it wasn't the right sort of fit for this console or something else, something else, something else. But there are already games that you can see doing similar things and doing them really, really well. So, yeah. you know, like there's never an excuse for bad writing. The actual gameplay mechanics of the rolling the, the marble around is uh, deeply boring and unsatisfying. <laughs> I, was, I, was kind of, I was hoping that the game it might make use of the accelerometer in the play date, but I don't think it does. You just No, I don't think it does. You just use the, the crank. It doesn't feel like you've got enough control over, over that to definitively make your narrative choice either. It's all no. just very woolly and hazy and, and unclear. 
and it means that any sense of ownership that you might have over the story that might make you engage with the next bland bit of writing that's gone as well because you don't feel like you're in control and you don't have any agency over it so it is just boredom interspersed with boredom <laughs> it's, a, it's a bad game it's a bad game yeah. it's not a badly made game because it you know it works without any bugs or glitches yeah, its performance is absolutely fine it's the biggest sin you can commit when trying to make anything in terms of entertainment is if you make something that's boring, then it's an yeah. absolute failure, especially when compared to Pick Pack Pup coming out at the same time. Shame. Yeah, that's that's an uneven waiting, isn't it, between those two games? Yeah. With Lost Your Marbles, I don't have a problem with the game being a simple visual novel. you know, And, and the choice scenes, that's the ball rolling bits. They are, as you say, they're bland, but they are mechanically okay they're just a bit unwieldy and i think you can almost see as well there's a stage about a third of the way through the game that's presented like a pinball or pachinko machine and in that sort of ball rolling section i was like oh no i can sort of see where this could work if they really actually thought about these stages a bit more it could be more interesting but it almost never lives up to that again because most Mm. of them are just roll and hope you hit the thing you want and it's a real pity that it doesn't rise to that level Because given the nature of the game, even the standout of that stage lasted a few seconds before dumping me back into that conversation you mentioned, which is really boring. Yeah. And exactly like you, what I dislike about this game the most is the writing itself. And I think it's it's the tone of it as well. Like the story, okay, Lost Dog, fine. You could do something with that maybe, but it's aiming for this sort of earnest whimsy that I think you get in something like A Short Hike. But it just ends up being really twee and grating. Yeah. And I think the writing in like Casual Birder a few weeks ago, it was in a similar vein, but it was much more succinct. It was more punchy and just a lot funnier. And a lot of the humor, and I'm definitely doing that in inverted commas for, for Lost Your Marbles, comes from the sort of early 2000s web 2.0, oh, I'm so random, cheese and monkeys and pirates sort of thing. Yeah. That was showing its age almost at its inception. Yeah. Like, and it doesn't feel like this is an, a knowing throwback. It feels like someone going, no, that was quite funny, wasn't it? Should we bring it back? <laughs> And for that to manifest itself here just feels really odd. Yeah. Like when I played a short hike, if anyone hasn't played it, go and do it now. It's very good. Very good. It felt conversational and silly. It made me laugh. And yet, despite all that whimsy, it has a proper gut punch at its end. It's it's a really emotional game, despite being something that you, you really don't see that coming. And I can't recommend it enough, but Lost Your Marbles was a big nothing. <laughs> yeah. Now, this is all actually a pretty perfect segue into talking about our final sideloaded game this week, which is called Bloom. And it is an absolute treat from our pals at RNG Party, which more than almost anything else I've played as a sideloaded title on this console should have been included in season one. And it was being developed concurrently with a lot of the games in season one. It's a real shame that they didn't kind of get that nod because it's excellent. <laughs> like It's essentially a visual novel as well. Hence that connection I made to Lost Your Marbles. And it's similarly trying to break up its text with little interactive sections, again, like Lost Your Marbles. But the difference here is that I thought Bloom was pretty outstanding throughout and became a a game that I checked in with daily for a full month when I was playing it because I had my console before you did. Mm. Whereas Lost Your Marbles was an absolute slog every time I picked it up. Yeah. (laughs) You know, essentially me just hammering through text to try and get me to at least have a go at the rolling bits and assume that might be a bit more fun. In Bloom, you take on the role of Midori, a young woman who's living in Japan, who's left university to pursue a career running a flower shop. 
And the game plays out in semi-real time with you tending to your flower crop and then managing social links via a sort of WhatsApp-style text message interface. And the rhythm of the game expects you to kind of check in when you've got time, get up to date with your floristry and your communication, and then to leave it until maybe the evening that night in real life or the following day in, in real time or whatever. The story is not tied to the clock as a game like, I think it was called Lifeline, that I think came out in the Apple oh, Watch yeah. with buzz you messages throughout yeah, the day yeah, in, in actual yeah. real time. That's clever, that. Which is really cool. Whereas in Bloom, it does mean that because the way the story is delivered, sometimes there's a bit of cognitive dissonance because the in-game art is showing that it's the real world time of day, like it's evening, but the messages you're receiving can sometimes feel out of sync depending on where you left your conversations previously. Yeah. So for example, people may be asking you about things that have happened the previous game evening yeah where the evening was actually your real world morning if that makes sense so it's fine but it just you know kind of throws you off a little bit regardless of all this though what it does incredibly well throughout is make you feel properly invested in Midori's life yeah and you're balancing friendships you're balancing your relationship you're balancing connections with your family your work commitments and I say balancing but the story is largely linear with you just kind of intervening at key points in conversations to choose how to move things forward. But at its most powerful bloom works best because it knows when to give you control of the conversation and when to take it away. Yeah. So at one point, Maduri is having to work flat out to meet a work deadline. Text messages are still coming in from your girlfriend, from your friends, but the ability to respond is just not there. And it yeah. gave me a genuine feeling of anxiety. Yeah, I found that absolutely devastating. It, it was horrendous because yeah. I could feel this relationship breaking down in real time. Like I check in a few hours later being like, she'll respond now. And it's like, nope, no option. Because your character, Midori, is just, she's too busy. She's too burnt out. She doesn't have the capacity to do that. And I'm going, please, please just say you're okay. Just... Just tell her, tell her you love her. Tell her, tell yeah. her it's all right. Yeah. Uh, it's great. I've been absolutely blown away by this game, I must say. I think the writing in the... I mean, you couldn't ask for a starker contrast between costume marbles <laughs> uh, and this in terms of the quality of yeah. writing. And you can tell that, you know, obviously RNG Party made Backspace Bouquin, the typing adventure that we covered a couple of seasons ago. And that game used language and used words so incredibly cleverly, smartly and efficiently. And it's exactly the same here in Bloom. Just the small intricacies of just language that make each of the conversations you're having with different people slightly different, feel different, have a different tone. It's amazing how engaging just normal chit chat can be. Yeah. And that's just a real credit to uh, to these guys who made it. The fact that, I mean, Lost Your Marbles is bland chit chat and it's bland. Bloom yeah. is bland chit chat and you care about every single word. It's, yeah, completely. There really is such a fine line between it. And like you said, you just, you care so much about Midori and her journey and if you're allowed to respond to a text, you, you're given two choices and you can choose it. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that if, no matter which one you choose, it goes the same way. Yeah, they're basically two flavours of the same answer most yeah, of the time. But that doesn't make me feel like I'm not having impact. It allows me to think, how would Midori respond here? What is her tone? What is her emotion? That kind of idea where the, the story and the narrative is actually happening partly in your brain as well, as much as it is on screen, because you're mm. putting yourself in that character. It's like... Do you remember I talked about the beginning of Firewatch way back when it's like you, you're you given choices to think about how your character is reflecting on the story that's happened before the game has started. Yeah. And it doesn't change the story in any way. It doesn't have any impact on what is going to happen in the future. It doesn't change a single piece of narrative outside of you just framing it in a way 
that makes sense to you for, mm. for how this character has responded. And it's like that. It's it's Midori going, okay, am I going to be surly? Am I going to be funny? Like, how is she deciding to respond? Because, yeah, the outcome is no different. Mm. But the way that you can sort of intervene and, you know, push it just in your head in a different way really helps you make Midori your own version of Midori. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know how far through the game I am in terms of... Like, I, I'm assuming that the conversations are finite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in terms of, like, the the game mechanics of, of running your flower shop, I can see I've still got room to expand my flower patches. And I enjoy that side of things as well. I mean, like, yeah. my wife just got massively into gardening over the last few years. And it's nice when you unlock, like, a new flower you can grow. And I'm like, oh, I know about that one. Oh, my wife really likes alliums. I can now grow grow alliums or something like that. It's just really, really nice. Yeah. But I'm always looking forward to checking in with it. Yeah. It's brilliant. I think, on top of all these other things, the art is great. Yeah. Like, we've already said, yeah. the, the writing, I think, is genuinely, for this sort of game, like, superlative. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. The music is a lovely set of, like, lo-fi mm. beats that are just there for atmosphere and just something in the background. And that structure, like you said, of the gardening, the sort of plant and water and chat and weight, it just fits a handheld so incredibly well mm. that, like I said, I played it morning and night for a full month because once I'd finished the story, there's a few other bits of flavor text you can get because there's like a gacha machine you can play each day yeah. and there's a little high score sort of shooter and stuff that comes with it. Lots of just little pieces that you can just pick at. And I just wanted to keep picking at them. I wanted mm. to see the little apartment. I wanted to do some more planting. I just enjoyed doing it. And I, I really do think that alongside Backspace Buchan, Bloom represents RNG now hitting two for two clean out of the park for me. Yeah. Like, obviously, Bloom's reach is going to be limited by its platform it's launched on. But I really do wish the boys at RNG Party every success in the world because it's mm. clear that they are an incredibly talented bunch, no matter the genre that they put in their hands to. Yeah. Just yeah. wizards. We'll have to see if we can get them on for a special. Yeah. Because I'd, lo- I'd love to pick their brains over, over Bloom. Absolute class. So there we go. That uh, was our latest play day. Thank you for playing with us. Oh my god, we chatted about a lot of games there, didn't we? A lot of games. Yeah. But the biggest takeaway is Bloom is brilliant and some games aren't. <laughs> Next week we'll be returning to report back on our Fortnite challenge where Chris will be telling me how he's got on with Mo Astray and I'll be telling yes. him which game I chose between Poi and Unbox. Yes. And how I've got on with that. If you're enjoying what we're doing and you want to support us, do check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash O3C games. Check out our website, O3C.games. Go to our support page. Or as Chris invited you to do, please do share the podcast, leave a review and a ranking and a rating and all that sort of stuff. It goes such a, such a long way to helping us expand and continue the podcast. Engage with us on social media, at O3C games on everything. And we are individually available as well for uh, functions uh, work events and all that sort of thing uh, I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn I am still on the sinking ship that is Elon Musk Twitter at Chaz yeah. underscore Hodges oh yeah <laughs> and please do join us next week when we report back on our challenges <laughs> so stupid though, isn't it Sponsor. 
SequelCast 2 and Friends looks at movies and video games and franchises one movie and game at a time. Hosted by Matt Bradley Shurgi, Thrasher, and Alex Miller, been going since 2009, and we're part of the HyperX Podcast Network. The award-winning Go Nintendo podcast is the best place to get the latest news on the world of Nintendo. We cover the biggest stories, share impressions of the latest games, and answer your burning questions. There's also some general pop culture talk, game music trivia, a heaping helping of silliness, and did I mention our robot companion? I'm the star of the show. Catch new episodes of the Go Nintendo podcast every Saturday on the HyperX Podcast Network. If you're a shrewd shopper, it's about to be your favorite time of the year. HyperX will be running massive sales for the holiday season. Get up to 50% off some of our most popular products, like the Ultra Comfy Cloud 2 headset, the tough, responsive Alloy Origins mechanical keyboard, and the fan-favorite Quadcast USB microphone. Sales will be going on at all major e-tailers, but be sure to head to HyperX.com and sign up for the newsletter to get the scoop on the biggest deals. Happy holidays from HyperX.